Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Great to be with you worshiping this morning. So I mentioned before, I'm Father Morgan Reed, and I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm delighted to be worshiping with you on this Christmas season. Let me pray for us this morning as we look at a very traditional passage that's read in our, in our lectionary during Christmas, John chapter 1. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, would you give us delight today in the mystery of your incarnation? We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, in joy everlasting. Amen. So in the church, we have spent the last four weeks, well, really on the 24th, we got a morning. Uh, we spent four weeks getting ready for Christmas with the season of Advent. And now that we are here, we are in this 12-day season celebrating the commemoration of the incarnation of our Lord. And it's amazing how quickly the broader culture has moved away from Christmas already. I mean, by the end of December 25th, I was already seeing ads for New Year's and New Year's resolutions on Christmas Day. And so the, the world has moved on. I remember on Christmas Eve, I needed to buy uh, some tablecloths for the cookie exchange. So I go down to the store to buy some Christmas tablecloths. Well, they're all gone. But you know what I found instead was tablecloths for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Slow down. I'm not ready for this yet. That, that means that Lent will have begun and I'm not ready yet. I want my Christmas. And so, you know, this is endemic of the, the broader culture that we're a part of. It's driven by a marketing schedule. It's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So one of the things that I love about the 12 days of Christmas is that it helps us to pause and it invites us to slow down and it invites us to take delight, to, to rejoice, to take joy in the incarnation of the Son of God. There's a delight to be discovered in the incarnation because there we discover goodness and truth and beauty, the light and life of God embodied in the Son of God who, who reorients our lives to divine joy to rootedness, and to the kingdom of God. There's a reorientation in Christmas. And so John 1 is famously this passage that's read on this first Sunday of Christmas. And while we're used to thinking of the baby in the manger, John's gospel gives us a vision of the glory of God that's found in the vision, in the word incarnate. The deep reality of the incarnation as St. John presents it here is, is that it is a mystery to adore. It is a mystery to delight in. And then it's a mystery to live out. We prayed earlier in the collect for the day, grant that this light kindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives. So this gospel passage today is about the light of the world. It situates us to, um, in God's glory. And we're going to look at the word glory because the word glory is very important in Christmas and especially in Epiphany, which is coming up. And this passage situates us as agents of 
new creation. It situates us as agents of grace and truth. And it situates us as agents of God's revelatory work, his glory. When I think of revelation, not the book, but just God's revelation, one of the things I was thinking about this week was the, the kids in our congregation, a lot of whom are not here this morning, but I was thinking of one of the ones that um, a parent had posted a funny video on Instagram and their child's playing drums, and he looks over at mom and just shoots a wink at her uh, while he's playing drums and like, what does that say about what he's going to grow up to become? And if you come to our house, our son will greet you at the door, probably take you by the hand and walk you around the house uh, to show you everything fun that he loves, right? He's a good host. And one of the kids in our church has drawn some really beautiful artwork uh, that uh, a parent gave me and one of them I found later. And, and, you know, it was something that they remembered from the service. And one child in our church over dinner, they were talking about all kinds of facts that they found interesting about science and about the Bible. And things that they found interesting, you know, as an eight-year-old. Each child here is so distinct. Um, and there are ways that those children reflect their parents. But there are also many ways that those children are very unique uh, unto themselves. That they actually don't reflect something about their parents. And, and I often wonder about what that means, about what that's telling us about what those children are going to become when they're older. Those of you who have kids that have grown up and are now out of the house, you can look back at your kids probably uh, who are adults and, and look back at, at them now and look back to where they came from. And you can see uh, seminal forms of who they are now, even as far back as you can think like a big connect the dots through their story. And so when we look back, each one of us, there are, there are things that connect our lives, kind of like this connect the dots idea. Like we can kind of string pearls and kind of go, oh yeah, that's, that showed me who I am now, and that thing indicated that I was going to be this way. And you can kind of look back, and even before you can remember, there are things about you uh, that were a seminal form of who you would become. The Christmas season is about the glory of God revealed. And Epiphany marks the ways that that revelation, uh, the glory is continuing to be revealed. And so when we get to John 1, the book begins with, in the beginning was the word. It's only natural to connect that phrase, in the beginning, with the very work of creation itself. The word of God has been at work in creation, speaking creation into existence. Speaking creation is a performative act. It was accomplished just by God speaking. And in the beginning, God created what was good out of what didn't yet exist. He formed, he fashioned, he filled the earth with life. And he called it good. And he made us. He called us very good. And he made uh, humanity and, and all this in the earth. And John's gospel then considers this word that was spoken at creation. Who is this word? The word of the Lord has been active in, you know, seemingly seminal form, right? If we think of the glory revealed, that glory was in small revelations throughout the scriptures. That word was active in Israel's history. Sin had entered the world, death entered the world through sin, but the word of God was actively working from the beginning to restore humanity. That word that spoke creation into existence. 
When you read rabbinic literature, uh, it often uses this word memar or memra, and it doesn't matter. Uh, the word memra means word, and so like as this mysterious work uh, is happening, this word often becomes an agent of God's action. As a quick example, I was looking back at what's called the Targum of Numbers uh, 23.4. In Hebrew, it says that the Lord met the prophet Balaam. In the Jewish translation, the Targum, from about the time of John writing, actually, uh, or just afterwards, it was... um, it says that the word from before the Lord met Balaam. The word from before the Lord met Balaam. The word, the word, the memar. Uh, and, and so it was, it was a way to distance God uh, from direct contact with humanity. But at the same time, the word, the memra, becomes an actor uh, in, in the rabbinic literature. And this word was acting in the garden. This word was acting in the Exodus narratives. This word uh, was acting in the return of the exiles. And it gives new significance to that famous phrase in um, Isaiah 40 that's been preached on a couple times throughout Advent about the word of the Lord standing forever. And so what is new here is that this word that's been active Uh, This word is actually taking on flesh and dwelling among us. That this word is a person, a divine person who has taken on flesh and dwelt among us. And so John's gospel is this Christological commentary on creation. In the beginning was the word. The word that spoke creation into existence is God. He was with God before the incarnation And in the mystery of the incarnation, this word took on flesh, became human, came to be all that it was to become human except without sin. He lived among us, pitched his tent among us. The message talks about came into our neighborhood. Uh, The word became flesh. And and that is an act of new creation. And it's an act of new creation that brings our humanity into right relationship with our creator. The God who loves us. The act of new creation is to raise up what's fallen, to repair what's broken, to make us new, and to bring us into the light and the life of God. And so the Christmas season is about the glory of God being revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. We get to verse 14, which is sort of a summary. It says, we have, uh, well, in the end of verse 14, it says, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So grace and truth are common as a pairing in the Old Testament to talk about the character of God. And it's from this fullness that you and I have received grace upon grace. Not by what we do, uh, but because of who we are in the Beloved. And that makes us agents of grace and truth. Agents of the glory and the revelation of God. To grow in that knowledge of the truth of God is to see ourselves as God sees us. To see ourselves rightly. To grow in the knowledge of grace is to love ourselves and the world the way that God does. We need to take time to discover and time to delight in the truth and the grace of God. We need to take time to delight in it. Um, Not... Not in a surface way of just rejoicing, sort of without uh, taking stock of what's hard, 
But taking time to intentionally choose to delight in the grace and truth of God. How do we give ourselves to others when we haven't taken uh, time to delight in that joy ourselves? Fleming Rutledge has a new book on the season of Epiphany. And she says, the radiance of God is not something simply to wonder at, but so much more. It's the promised gift of a refined and transformed human heart, both now and in the kingdom yet to come. Joy is bestowed upon us through the transformative power of God's glory. Glory. There is a transformative power to the glory of God. And we carry it in our embodied lives. We carry in our, in our embodied lives this capacity to join the word in new creation. And the opportunity to manifest the revelation of God in a life that's being transformed by the unending joy of a life united with our creator God. And I remember the terrifying power that I felt once when I celebrated the first wedding ceremony that I was able to, uh, to do this. I, I took the stole off, I wrapped it around the couple's hands, uh, and I said, Now that Brian and Sarah have given themselves to each other by solemn vows with the joining of hands and the giving of rings, I pronounce that they are husband and wife. I had that opportunity to speak something into existence. That is performative speech. It's a new creation, a union of two people by something I proclaimed. That's a terrifying power, but it illustrates the creative nature of performative speech. And that union has been manifesting itself over several years since then. Thanks be to God. And the word of God The word of God is performative speech. Um, It's a performative speech act that brings creation, new creation. So we see God's glory manifest in the hearts transformed by the word of God. And in the last few years, um, we've had a few of you share your testimonies in the congregation. And I've loved that. I actually want to get back to that again. At some point in the new year, we're going to make space for hearing people's testimonies uh, before the congregation because it is a performative act of new creation. I mean, when I listened to Carol's testimony, I was brought to tears just thinking about what God does. And her testifying to the grace of God uh, was a performative act that brought in me a revelation of God's glory. And we all need that in one another. And so it's essential to tell our stories to one another. But first, that means we have to tell our stories honestly to ourselves. And then, as it's appropriate, we share them with one another. Testimonies of God's grace. And that begins this search for the glory of God in our story. In whatever seminal form we're finding that glory. So continue to share uh, stories of God's grace upon grace with one another. You have the opportunity to do that here. You have the opportunity to do that over coffee. Uh, You actually have the opportunity to do that over meals. We do formation groups every week because we want you to be in each other's houses sharing meals. But you don't need to wait for those. You could have each other over any time and share stories of God's grace with one another. We need to see God's grace at work in one another. The word of God who speaks new creation into the darkness of the world has come to you and to me in our brokenness to rewrite our story according to the glory of God. And the glory of God happens in the transformation of hearts. 
He is the light that shines into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He's the love of God who speaks, and we are made new. So this glory of God is made manifest more and more as we, with all the grace and truth, bring that to bear on our day-to-day embodied experiences. And that means other people as well. Uh, For those of you who have kids, let's share with them what God's doing in your lives. As you think about the day-to-day stuff you're doing with them, we talk a lot about habits and rhythms of prayer and fasting in our congregation, and those are vital. Uh, We need good rhythms. But our kids also need to see where and how we draw from the reservoir of divine delight when our lives can be really hard. So they need to see what brings us joy, which brings up another question of where do we find our joy and delight? Is that connected to the light and the life of God? The joy that's surrounding the throne of God where all the angels and saints are singing in eternal delight? Or is our chief delight in something else? Even if we don't have kids, God has placed people into our lives with varying degrees of intimacy. Does our joy and delight point people towards the love of God in Christ? Joy is so often equated to drumming up feelings of happiness about our circumstances or overlooking suffering um, or feeling an emotion. But delighting in the deep reservoir of the love of God is different. It's a choice. It's a habit that acknowledges the reality of the current circumstances that we're in. And it holds space to live with God in the hope of experiencing and tasting of the worship that surrounds God's throne. We taste of it in temporal form each and every week because we need the taste of it to remind us of what's coming. And sometimes um, I wonder if instead of joy, we might use the word deep satisfaction or the, the phrase deep satisfaction as we think about God's love and the experience of it. Is there a deep satisfaction and, a, and an intentional choice to content ourselves in the love of God? And so this 12-day season of Christmas reminds us to pause. It reminds us to take delight, to, to dip into the deep reservoir of God's love. And then we could spend a whole day working, disciplining kids, teaching eating, drinking, exercising, partaking of leisure and rest without a thought of the love of God the entire day. We could do that. But if we would just pause, and if we would thank God for his love, or if it's a really hard day, if we would ask for his mercy throughout the day, in addition to having regular times of prayer and scripture reading, those very ordinary and mundane things, or the really hard things, would become opportunities for a deeper experience of delight in the glory of God. And by delight, I don't, again, I don't mean a surface happiness, but an intentional choice to content ourselves in the abiding love of our Creator. So Christmas, then, is this beautiful 12-day season to, to, de- to delight in. It's an invitation to divine joy, to the glory of God uh, who has been made flesh. The word who made all things has been made flesh to redeem us. The light of God has come to scatter the darkness in our world and in our hearts. The love of God was born from a virgin, fully God, fully man, to die for us.
to rise again to conquer sin and death. It was attributed to St. Irenaeus, this quote that says, The glory of God is a human fully alive. So Christ came to renew creation, to renew us, to dispel the darkness, those things that are not us, that keep us from seeing the glory of God, to correct our disordered affections, and to wake up our senses to the love of God, which has rested on us since before the world began. So I imagine this 12-day season is an invitation to drink deeply from that river of divine delight where the saints and angels are surrounding the throne of God with joy. And this comes from a heart that's being transformed by the love of God and a willingness to tell that story back to ourselves honestly and then to embody that grace and truth for the sake of others. Let me pray for us. O eternal Lord God, you hold all souls in life. Shed forth upon your whole church, in paradise and on earth, the bright beams of your light and your heavenly comfort. And grant that we, following the good examples of those who have loved and served you here and now are at rest, may enter with them into the fullness of your unending joy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.